0: My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Well, let me be the latest to say Happy New Year. It's always a good moment when we can start afresh. Though there is nothing particularly holy about January 1st, there is spiritual application to beginnings for us. God set a precedent in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt After over 400 years of bondage, the Lord said in Exodus 12, told Moses, this day shall be the beginning of months for you. So God just picked an arbitrary day and said, I'm going to make this day holy. And so every new year for the Israelites was a celebration of their freedom. It it, It just wasn't a turn of the calendar. It was a moment for them to realize God set me and my ancestors free. He delivered us from bondage. Well, if God could do that at the beginning of a moment for the people of Israel and say, I'm just going to take a day and apply redemption to it, then why don't we go ahead and take the principles of redemption to our lives and apply it to every beginning for us? The beginning of your day, the beginning of your relationships, the beginning of your new year. God wants us to be renewed on a regular basis. And in order to do that, we have to return to the cross and apply those principles of redemption to our lives intentionally. So anytime you start something, make sure you start with God. Yes, anytime you begin something, let it start with Scripture and His principles so that you don't have to come back later and say, God, where did I miss it? I wanted you to bless this, but it was I thought it was... a a good idea but it seems to have been more my idea than your idea and now I need you to fix what I started because it got all messed up it's better to start with him than without him just a thought FYI for 2014 turn with me over to the book of Mark we're going to start a series on our mission as a church now our vision is to help reach the entire Washington D.C. area for Christ we realize we cannot do that all by ourselves we're not that egotistical as to believe our importance is so large that we can reach the entire area we, we don't we all we want to do is play our part but we do know that we have a part to play that we care about the city from the halls of congress to the white house to the judicial branch to educational institutions to the community rec centers to the to the where the kids play in in the sports and leagues to your office place to the educational institutions we want to reach this entire metropolitan area for Christ it's over 7 million people it's a gargantuan task but we're starting small and we believe that step by step God is going to enable us to play our part in seeing this entire area bow its knee but we've piecemealed it out to say we need a mission to accomplish our vision and there are three things that we constantly trying to to employ to make us effective one we want everybody to encounter Christ people in here who come to church on a regular basis every time they come in they ought to experience Jesus not just me not just our worship team not just the wonderful folks who greet you when they come to the church they ought to experience Jesus we want you to encounter Christ and we want everybody who doesn't know Jesus in your sphere of influence to encounter Christ through you It's important because he is the one that changes our lives He's the one that rearranges our priorities So that we can set them in order According to the purpose for which we've been placed on the planet Secondly We are to, after we encounter Christ, experience community So give me the first two words of the Lord's Prayer Our Father Now, Jesus didn't say, my Father He said our Which means that the Lord's prayer is intended to make sure you're reminded that you are not an only child. That every time you pray, you ought to think about everybody else around you. And that the the loop that runs in your prayer mind, in your soul, the loop that runs of your prayer needs, ought not just be about your stuff, our Father. So when you meet Christ, he's intending you to then meet everybody who he loves. Those that he calls his own. We want you to experience family and community here in the house. And then thirdly, we want you to take whatever you've got and extend the kingdom. In your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, to extend the kingdom. So encounter Christ, experience community, extend the kingdom. Those are the three things that we we hold up as our mission, and we we let them kind of inspire all that we do on a regular basis. Today we're going to talk about what it means to extend the kingdom by encountering Christ and experiencing community. We're going to keep this series all throughout the month, but today is kind of an amalgamation of all three. So turn with me over to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Mark 2, 1 through 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking to them. In verse 3, they came, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four men. And being able unable to get him in because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven Lord help us as we study there are many theologians who believe that Jesus didn't have a home and they base that on the fact that when the popularity of Christ was growing people were jumping on the bandwagon of his success John the Baptist had said at the beginning of Christ's ministry that this was the Messiah those within earshot decided they would follow him and that meant some of John's staff John had proclaimed him as somebody greater than himself and everybody looked at John and asked him are you the one or should we expect somebody else are you the Messiah he said no I'm not him and let me tell you how great the guy is who's coming after me I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals which meant he wasn't even worthy of being the lowest servant in a house because Jesus was so great so John the Baptist had proclaimed Jesus as being this, but nobody really figured, could figure out what does it look like. And so they, they waited in, in large part for his ministry to kind of flesh itself out and flourish. But now people were, were recognizing this man had some enormous capabilities. He was different than everybody else. Every time he talked, something came out of his mouth that was new and fresh and had authority. He was more than just another prophet He was was the Messiah, and the Messiah for the Jewish mindset meant this. One who would set up a kingdom that would have no end. Neither would it have any borders, and that it would expand forever. So it would go on in time, and it would go on in space, and it would have no parallel in prosperity or peace. And they thought Jesus was coming to set up this kingdom and unseat Rome and kick out the usurper, Herod, who had been the puppet ruler for all the Jews. He wasn't even Jewish and set up this kingdom for the benefit of the Jews and all oh, the Jews were excited about it I mean they were really happy and as they began to, to look at Christ's ministry from a distance they, they saw him beginning to do things that were even beyond what they thought a messiah would do they were just looking for the messiah to be a ruler but this guy was a prophet and a healer and so much more casting out devils they'd never seen that before what, what king ever did that and so they were saying, he's, he's like everything we want a person to be with more. And, 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 and now the bandwagon was growing. And it was about six months until he was going to the, to the cross, going to Jerusalem for the last time. And everybody realized this could be the moment where he sets up his kingdom. And folks were, were calling out from the crowd. And in Luke chapter 9, one guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. Everybody wanted to get in on the campaign trail. They wanted to become a part of it because they realized if I help this man get elected, I can get a job. And so people were trying to figure out how they could get his attention and prove their loyalty. And Jesus says to the man who cried out, um, yeah, about that. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, from what from what Jesus, how Jesus responded to this man, theologians have said, well, that proves Jesus didn't have a home. Well, I, contextually, it doesn't make much sense for Jesus to respond that way, because the issue was not where Jesus was going to sleep. He was responding to the man's desire to come and be a part of his leadership team. And what Jesus was trying to convey to him is that leadership is not going to flesh out like, like you think. I mean, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I am the Messiah. But birds have their nests where where they call their home and they can rule. Foxes even have dens where they call their home and they can rule. But me, I go to a people that I'm supposed to rule over, and they're not going to receive me. I have no place to place the headship of my authority. I'm called to the Jewish people, but they're going to reject me. You still want to follow you still want to follow, you want to, come on, get on the bandwagon, please, I need more people to sacrifice their life for the benefit of many, come so I don't think that passage can be used as a proof text for Jesus not having a home, secondly, we don't know where Joseph went, meaning the surrogate father of Christ, but we do know this, that he was not around, now we believe that he probably died Jesus at this point in this passage is over 30 years of age I've already articulated over the last few weeks that, generally speaking, older men would marry very young women because they had to, to gain the bride price necessary to secure the bride from the father of the bride. had to pay anywhere it could be from 100000 to $500,000, and you don't get that coming out of college. So you have to work a long time to get those resources. Working a long time means that you are aged when you marry. And you try to marry somebody younger so that they can have as many children as possible. So it was not uncommon for a 40-year-old to marry a 16-year-old. Well, by the time Jesus is 30, that means that 40-year-old is 70. The average lifespan of a man back then was somewhere around 55. So Joseph probably had passed on. Every good Jewish boy was responsible to care for his mama. And I don't think you could find a better Jewish boy than Jesus. So we have every reason to believe that in his father's absence, it was his responsibility to make sure mama had a house. And since he wasn't married, he lived with his mama. Does that make sense to you? My point is I'm building a case here for when it says Jesus was home. It doesn't just mean in the region. It meant he was in his house. And Mary lived there too. Now, Jesus is coming home. There is nothing about his coming home that is prefaced by saying, and he was about to, to do ministry. Jesus was coming home like you come home after work. <laughs> Babies a dinner on the table. Mama, you got dinner? Picking up the remote, turning on ESPN. <laughs> Trying to chill a little bit. Day's over, you worked hard, just enjoying life, doing what normal people do. But Jesus wasn't a normal person. He had already raised the dead. He had cast out devils. <laughs> He had, he, had, he had shouted down the religious folk that were trying to oppress the people to which they were, they were sent and supposed to serve. And so he had gained enormous popularity. When he walked home, when he came in the city, everybody knew it. Hey, y'all, Jesus home. Jesus home. Really? He's home? Oh, my mama's, my mama's not feeling good. Okay, mama, mama, Jesus home. We got to go see him. Baby, he just came. Mama, we got to go see him. Listen, you not feeling, you got a fever. We don't, let's go see him. Knock, knock, knock. Hey Jesus, what's happening? How you doing? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, listen, I don't mean to disturb you, but my mama's sick. Could you like, uh, could you like do what you do? Dude, I just walked in the, I just walked in the. <sighs> yeah, come on, bring her in. Lay, lay it. Now I'm making all this up, but it sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> we don't know how the house got filled. We don't know, but it's got to be something like this. The house was not the place where he did regular ministry. This was a man that knew how many people were following him, so he went and did it in the wilderness. We're talking about 5,000 folks out in the desert following him. He knew the house was not the place, not big enough, and he's got to answer to mama. I mean, what's mama going to say when you got 85 folks standing in the living room? Baby, can we like, you know, go down to the synagogue or something? I mean, I wasn't prepared for this. I ain't cleaned the house. This wasn't a planned moment. And so somebody gets healed. And then they walk out, come in sick, walk out healthy. They shouting down the street, I'm healed. Now everybody knows. And now they start bringing their babies, their uncles. Everybody's coming. And and they're, they're knocking, and they're gee, hi, huh? Come on in. Come on. And then he begins to teach him. And then more folk come, and more folk come. And more now, everybody's in the living room. They're in the kitchen. They're in the family room. They're on the stairs to the basement. They didn't have basement, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they are all over the place. They are crammed in the front door so that nobody can get in. They're opening the windows to try to get just as much earshot as possible. There are people who are saying, "What do he say? What do he say? What do he do? What do he do? What do he do?" And then somebody's translating what Jesus said. Seven, eight, nine, ten people back, and it—oh, oh, everybody's excited. And now it's become a church service, but it didn't plan to be that way. And Jesus is doing everything he possibly can to provide and accommodate for the word of God to be ministered in the house. And when the word is ministered and Jesus is there, folks show up. It's hard to keep them away. And I am so grateful that God is bringing you to this house. Because you realize that when you come in, it's not just about what Pastor Brett says. It's not whether Tiffany and Rob can rock the morning. It's about, does Jesus show up and minister to you? Do you feel him? Do you sense him? Do you hear his voice? That's what it's about. And the more we can present him, the more people just keep coming. So we used to have one service. Then we got two, trying to make room. Then we got three, trying to make room. Then we went to four, and we ran out of morning. We ran out of morning. That's why you're here at 1245. When my staff came to me four years ago and said, Pastor, we need to do a 1245, I said, no, nobody going to come at 1245. <laughs> 1245, what kind of time slot is that? That's not traditional. Who going to come? You. That's who comes. You. <laughs> I'm amazed. We got people coming from all over the area. I mean area area, region area. I had a couple came to me as I was shaking hands as they were leaving the congregation the sanctuary, and, and, and they, they, I said glad to see us. Oh pastor we love it so much I know sometimes we're not on time and it takes us a long time to get here. I said where are you coming from? They said Frederick <laughs> Frederick Maryland <laughs> yeah. I said you drive an hour and, hour and 15 minutes to get to church oh they said pastor a church alive is worth the drive I told them I'm going to use that I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yes, sir. And then in the last service, I had a couple that said, Pastor, we come all the way from Fredericksburg. I said, they don't have churches in Fredericksburg, Virginia either. No, no, not this one. And they said, we are even, we love this so much. We're even looking for for a job. We work down there, but we're looking to see, to get transferred up here because we love this church so much. Now i realize that's not everybody's testimony i'm not everybody's cup of tea and neither is our mission i got that we're not for everybody but it seems like the lord is bringing more people than he's asking to stay away and for that i am very grateful these are great problems to have i wake up happy with my problems i'm overjoyed with my problems i remember when i had different kind of problems where we were we were trying to find property in which we didn't have people to fill We didn't have any, but we were just looking for some place to put 25 folks in and 50 folks in. And and I remember, those are problems, crowds, you weren't coming. 20 years ago, you weren't coming. Those are problems I don't want to have. These are great problems. Just so happy. And we're working as best we can as a congregation, administratively, to try to figure out how to make room. One service, two service, three service, four. We went to five services. We tried Saturday night, but nobody came. (laughs) And we were working just as hard as we do on Sunday morning. So we said, rather than do Saturday night, we'll just set aside another another satellite over in Dominion High School in Sterling, and we'll do one there. So we got 250 people to show up over there every Sunday morning. And it's just fabulous, just great, happy, happy, happy. But it costs a little money to do a satellite because you have to buy equipment. You, you just can't set up a guy there with a little megaphone saying Jesus is Lord. You, you, you got to have some stuff. And, and you got to have children's ministry stuff. And you have to deploy people and, and resources. And you have to buy trucks in which you put the stuff. It's about a $300,000 proposition just to do another meeting someplace else. Not to mention what you have to rent in terms of, of space every month so you can't do that all the time so we said, okay, college kids y'all worship over George Mason so our college kids at Northern Virginia Community College and George Mason University on Sunday night, 130 kids over there, Sunday night, 130 kids and oh, you ought to go over there you ought to, please leave, go (laughs) we need space (laughs) please go 130, it is wild on Sunday night over there. Six o'clock, it is amazing. That is my favorite service to which I never go. I go twice a year there. It is astounding. You see these college kids worshiping, you go, oh, this is what the kingdom's about, man. This is cool. And then we said, youth, don't come here no more. So our our teenagers, where do you drop them, parents? Up the street. 10 and 11 o'clock up the street. And so we have our youth services over there. Latinos, okay, we're going to find you a pastor. You go do your Spanish service up the street. That's nine services on a Sunday. We're doing our best to make room. We're doing our best. And if we have to do more, we will do more. But when when the administration runs out of answers, when the doorway is filled and the windows are clogged and there are 15, 20 people deep, No longer is it the responsibility of the administration to figure out how you can get your friends to hear those words by Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. These men saw, don't know exactly how it happened, but it happened something like this. Man, Jesus is here. Jacob needs to be healed, but he can't walk. All right, listen. I'm going to take off this afternoon. Y'all, fill in for me. I got to go find my friends. And they went and found all their buddies. And, and you needed four of them because the guy couldn't walk. Had to get him on his pallet, four at each corner, and carry him all the way. By the time they got everybody, got them off work, got them off caring for somebody, whatever it may be, after they got, the, the house was full. They couldn't get in. And it's not like you could say, excuse me, may I please move to the front? Everybody had issues. And it wasn't selfishness, it was just need. I need him to touch me, too. And so they were sitting there looking at the situation. And they said, we can't take no for an answer. Our friend needs to be healed. Our friend needs, our friend needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. We got to do something. And so they're sitting there. They set the boy on the ground and looking at the situation, surveying their possibilities, and they say, Roof. And another guy says to another, his buddy, so, roof, yeah, that's what we're going through. Dude, this ain't your house. <laughs> you, you can't just start tearing apart somebody's house, man, really. It's, it's Jesus' house. <laughs> it's Jesus' house. It's his house. You can't tear a hole in his roof. He'll sue you. Mama will sue you. I'll pay for it. All right, listen. If they ask me, I'm going to say it's your idea, all right? <laughs> Let's make it happen. Two guys get on the roof. Two guys get underneath. One pushes. The other two pulls. And, and, and they pull them up. And they start walking on the roof. And everybody on the inside of the house is feeling the roof shake. And dust is falling down because it's a thatch roof. It's not like our roofs where there's insulation in between the drywall. It's just roof. And then all of a sudden, folks start pulling stuff out. And, and Jesus is talking. He said, what in the world? And Mary's looking, say, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, G- D- Jesus, do you, see what, do you see? This is my roof, Jesus. Come on now. I know kingdom advance. I gotta, but this is my house. <sighs> okay, whatever. And then those fellas open up a hole big enough to lower their friend down. And Jesus looks at them and looks at their faith and looks at the boy and says, Dude, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious people were there, too. And in their minds, they heard Jesus say that, and they were upset. You keep reading in the passage, they said, Who in the world can say your sins are forgiven but God, blasphemy, wrong? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them again, Which is easier for me? For me to say your sins are forgiven or to rise and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Young man, get up. He got up and walked. There's something about hearing your sins are forgiven that helps you walk better. Doesn't matter which one he says. You walk better. And there are people who need to hear that. They can't get in here. Maybe the parking lot's too full. And when you try to to bring them, you have to go through all of these ruminations of, okay, if, if I bring them at 1130... I'm not quite sure whether the parking lot's going to be too full, and I have to bring them early enough to get their kids in, because the children's ministry might be full, and then they won't be happy if their children are with them in the sanctuary. But if I bring them early enough, there won't be enough parking for them, because everybody will still be in church. So maybe I need to bring them at nine. But if they come at nine, they don't want to get up at seven. To come at nine, how do I work this out? I have to help them feel comfortable, and I don't want them to have any impediments. This is what every if you haven't gone through that, you're not bringing nobody. If you haven't gone through that, you're not bringing anybody. You're just showing up. Come on. Hmm. Smile at me when you're mad, please. (laughs) Smile at me when you're mad at me. That helps me. And I ain't taking it back either. These men would not be denied, and I'm begging you. Figure out a way to, to bust a hole in your plan. To drop people into the setting where they can hear the beautiful words, Your sins are forgiven. We're building this building over here trying to make room. Yes. We're doing all we can to try to make room. We need your help to make room. Please, consider giving. Break, bust a hole in your financial planning. Bust a hole in whatever impediment would stop you from bringing people to this house so that they can hear those words desperately. Yes, right. okay. We're doing all we can. Now it's up to you. Be creative and figure out new ways to remove the hindrances from people being able to hear those words. Can you say amen? amen. Let's pray.